from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I mean, how much do you really know about your friends? I don't think anybody really knows much about anybody. You get into a pattern with people and and you get into a predictable uh, manner of engagement if you know them, you know, on a regular basis. And, And that's sort of how you live your life. My agenda is not to like, let me take you away from the reality for a little while. It's more like, let's go, you know, head first into the reality and see if we can put it into a perspective that we can handle. I'm Sarah Fenske. When Terry Gross needed someone to interview her, she chose Mark Marin. And when the Washington Post asked her why, NPR's greatest interviewer said that she knew he wouldn't let her dodge questions. I didn't want it to be boring, she said. It wasn't boring. It's never boring with Mark Marin. His podcast, WTF with Mark Marin, has become a juggernaut simply because its host is so good at pushing without being pushy, at getting people to open up without playing Oprah. But Mark Marin wasn't always an interviewer's interviewer. He's also a longtime comedian, and he comes to St. Louis tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday for sets at the Helium Comedy Club. And he joins us today. Mark Marin, welcome. Thank you. How's it going? So, Mark, it's it's going a little nervously, I gotta be honest. And thinking about your interview with Terry Gross, I have to ask, what's the key to interviewing somebody who's really, really good at interviewing? Well, with her, um, it, it was really about she, she, at that time, she wasn't really that public a personality. So although she's a great interviewer, nobody really knew much about her. And there actually wasn't that much information uh, available about her. So what little information I could find, I just saw where the gaps were. And I, uh, I poked around in the gaps. And then it sort of unfolded. There was a whole backstory there and a, a sort of present story to her life that I don't think had ever been shared up until that point. And we did it live, which made it kind of exciting. So this is not advice that's really going to help me today. I feel like there are no gaps in your life. We all feel like we know everything about you. Yeah, well, there's a lot. I mean, but there is, you know, about 23 hours a day that, you know, I live without being, you know, public or talking to people. <laughs> this is true. You know, <laughs> uh, there are some things uh, in my life that I imagine I've I've kept to myself. Uh, I, but most of the big moments, I, I think that's probably true. I, I do. I do. Uh, my style is to be fairly uh, uh transparent and and candid and, you know, too much information guy. And it's certainly it's a big part of what people respond to with your podcast. You told Terry in that interview, which was just great. You said you interview in part to get your deep emotional needs met. You've been doing this now for 12 years. You dropped your first episode 12 years ago this month. Is that still true that this is where you come for for that that emotional catharsis is interviewing other people? Well, you know, sometimes it's catharsis. Sometimes it's just connection. Uh, you, you know, catharsis as a word seems like it should be very exciting. And uh, yeah, and sometimes it is. But I, I always find that, that that I do, if I can connect in a way that it feels authentic and human and, and you have real moments with somebody, uh, I, I think that, that I do still do that. And I do still look for that. And it does usually still happen. I, I don't know how a conversation is going to go ever uh, because I don't really you know set out to have control over that so 
when the interaction becomes real, uh, it becomes very apparent and, and it's exciting. So, yeah, I still use my guests to uh, uh, supply me with some emotional uh, nutrition. And you, so a lot of your guests are people who have also been friends in real life or colleagues or people that you've worked with. Is that harder than interviewing a total stranger in some ways? Not really. I mean, how much do you really know about your friends? I don't think anybody really knows much about anybody. You know, they get, uh, you, know, you get into a pattern with people and, and you get into a predictable uh, manner of engagement if you know them, you know, on a regular basis. And, and that's sort of how you live your life. New information comes in, you know, there's problems that need to be dealt with. But usually uh, uh, a friendship is based on some sort of, um, you know, consistency and, and, and trust. But that doesn't mean you know somebody. So, so, so really, it doesn't matter who it is or how well I think I know them. It, it, it always sort of is surprising. So that's kind of the chance to take it deeper is to get them there in front of the microphone. Sure, but you know, you never know, you know what you, what deep means, or or how it's going to go, or what deep is to anybody. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's just a matter of getting them out from a, under their public persona. It could be just a moment. It could be uh, a lot of times when people talk out loud, and you give them to the space to do it. They'll they'll find things uh, that in themselves that they've never really talked about or thought about, and they'll be doing it out loud all of a sudden. And, and it makes for, a, you know, an engaging conversation. So we heard from so many fans of your show, all sharing their favorite episodes. Um, Bill wrote us on, on Facebook. He wrote, his conversation with Robin Williams was oddly prophetic because they talked about suicide. He's always been insightful about how comedy is born out of sadness and tragedy. He also has a great conversation in his archives with Norm McDonald. Donald. I love his show because it's like eavesdropping in on a personal conversation with people you always wanted to know. And Ray writes on Twitter, Norm MacDonald, it was the best hour and 15 minutes I've ever heard on a podcast. Funny and touching, especially him discussing his fear of death. So many of us went back and, and listened to that yesterday. And it, it seemed like you and Norm were real friends who went way back. So first, I want to say I'm sorry for your mm. loss. Um, just listening to the two of you talk about comedy it was just so funny, and it, it really felt like that moment of getting to eavesdrop on the kind of conversations you guys must have when we're not all listening in. Yeah, I, I think that that conversation and also the one with, with Robin are, are totally unique um, in terms of uh, who those guys were. Um, I had never really talked to either of them at length, hmm. uh, ever. And, you know, I, I didn't really know Norm that well. But, you, you know, I, I made this space available and I was excited to talk to him. And the same with Robin. It was sort of a different situation. But, but I, I, don't, I don't know why it happens how it happens when I, when I talk to these people. I, I don't know what it is about me that it, it makes them uh, kind of emotional and, and, and connected. I, I'm very interested in people, and I and I listen well, and I'm sensitive to who we are as comedians. And you know, I've spent my life doing comedy, whether anybody knows that or not. And my sort of love and understanding of people who do this uh, this job, this craft, is is deep. And and I kind of have a, a certain a, amount of space in my heart uh, to understand, you know, what what brings us to this point uh, to be uh, this this profession to be these kind of people um with robin you know that was 
I think the only reason that happened was because I was at his house and I drove there hmm. to do that. And both of these conversations took place a, a decade ago or more. But I drove to Robin's house and it was just him and I. And and Robin on his own was a very kind of shy, thoughtful, uh, open guy. And there was no one there. There was no one else there. So he, he didn't really need to put on a show, which I think is his impulse. Mm -hmm. So that was just that conversation is a very rare and uh, and beautiful thing. And it's the same, it turns out, with Norm. Is that, you know, Norm was, a you know, obviously, like Jeselnik, Anthony, tweeted yesterday that, you know, Norm having cancer for nine years and not telling anybody is is so Norm. You know, mm -hmm. like, the the idea of, of, of how... Not, I, I mean, he seemed to, you know, hold on to his, his heart and his personal life very tightly, and, and you didn't never really feel like you knew him, but for some reason, for that hour... You know, 11 years in 2011, 10 years ago or whatever it was with me, you know, I, I just, you know, there was an opening. Yeah. And I don't think another interview with him like that exists. And, it, and it's a it's a beautiful thing to have. And I'm happy these things exist when these uh, when these people leave us. Yeah. I mean, he seemed so loose and so happy in this interview. And, and he also talked about being an introvert, as you say, just that this wasn't something that came easily for him. It seems like maybe just having that opening of knowing he was talking to a fellow comedian. That's what did it. Yeah, sometimes uh, people are just ready to talk, and, and it's exciting to talk when they feel like, you know, I, I do think some of it has to do with my need to connect with people. I, I, I think I'm sort of, a, you know, very immediately, you know, codependent or, or enmeshed or, or have a desire to sort of relax my boundaries, which is not that hard, uh, and, and really kind of integrate into someone else's story and be part of it and be part of what they're talking about. So... Like in a way, even though I'm I'm abrasive and cranky and and interrupt a lot, I, I am pretty you know uh, selfless in these interviews emotionally, and I think uh, mm -hmm. I think you can just feel that you know. Yeah, I mean another recent interview or another interview that everybody's been replaying a lot recently, where I really felt that was with Michael K. Williams, uh, the great actor who played Omar on The Wire, had some other wonderful roles. And listening back to that conversation, you guys are both so in the moment and you're connecting with him so deeply. He's not a comedian. This was an actor. Um, yeah. Have you listened back to that interview? Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, you know, sadly. Yeah. Um, it, that was one of those things where, I, I, again, like I really enter these conversations not knowing, you know, what's going to happen. You know, and I, and I get filled with dread and anxiety. And it, it really isn't until you, you know, you engage for that first exchange where you, 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 where I relax. So, and, and I, you know, as time goes on, I don't, you know, I do, I do even less preparation than I, than I used to. And hmm. I, and I try to get a sense of somebody, but him and I had the common, uh, language of sobriety to, to have a conversation about that. And in retrospect, in, in light of, of how he died, it, it becomes a very poignant and 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 sad, but 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 exciting conversation. I mean, he mm -hmm. was very candid about having relapsed before, having struggled with sobriety, but also very much living in the day and understanding that that's all he really had. And I think to lose somebody like that who was that alive and that aware of the sickness of addiction. Um, it, it, it's powerful on a couple of different levels. Uh, I, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's helpful 
uh, as much as it is sad in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough interview to listen back to, but it's also, uh, y- you know, we all see so many clues there. He says, I believe in some form or fashion, we're all addicts. And you're somebody where you no longer have that drug problem. Where, where do you find yourself feeding that Jones these days? <laughs> That's a little personal. Um, I, I, <laughs> I got to well, get that, I, uh, that thing that nobody else has asked you, right? Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, look, man, I, I spread it out. You, you know, I'm, I'm relatively compulsive. I'm, I'm older now, you know, I, and I don't you know, I drink a lot of coffee. You, you know, I, I exercise uh, every day, but not crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I spin in my head. I listen to a lot of music. I play guitar. Um, you know, I spend time with people. You know, I, at the at this moment today. It doesn't seem like anything that I'm, uh, you know, filling that Jones with is is destroying my life. Uh, it's a little exhausting to be to have a brain like mine, but uh, I, I seem to have uh, I, I see I have a handle on it. I do get overly caffeinated, uh, and fine. I, I drink so much coffee that I need a nap. I get over overwhelmed and exhausted because uh, I amp my brain too much, but. I'm I'm relatively safe. I try to stay away from the ice cream. There's a there's a place there in St. Louis. They send me ice cream sometimes, and it drives me nuts because I love it. But you know, I can't have eight pints of ice cream in my house. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to ask you about this. This all started when Clementine's Creamery sent you twelve pints of ice cream, and you put a really humorous response, I believe, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, did you end up eating all twelve pints? No, I like I give them to my neighbors sometimes, or like you know I spend uh, I've been spending time with this uh, this woman Kit, and you know I'll give it to her, but you know we don't need it either. But it it just I I ate I ate enough of it to know that was good, and then a lot of times I'll just yell up. Uh, I got a neighbor Kelly, and she lives upstairs, and if her window her windows open, I'll be like Kelly, you want some ice cream? And she'll come down. <laughs> <I'll> just, <laughs> Unload some pints on her, but uh, it's very good ice cream. But I, I cannot have that much in the house. I, you know, part of the compulsive problem or the addiction problem with me is that look, if it's out of sight, out of mind, I'm good. But if it's in the freezer, it's going to talk to me. I mean, that seems fair. So Clementine's Creamery, they have kept these pints coming. It wasn't just the twelve pints. No, it happened like I think a couple more times. They invited me to, when I'm there. They wanted me to come scoop ice cream for charity or something. I'm like. You know, that's like going to a drug den. I can't, you know, I can't get, it's like going to a crack house. I can't do that. So you are not going to be scooping ice cream at Clementine's this weekend is, is what you're telling no, I'll me. Tr- I'll try to give the give to charity in another way. But, you know, so in a way that, you know, extends my life as well. You know, I don't need to clog up my heart by sitting around an ice cream for t- you know, three, four hours. We're talking today to Mark Marin, and he is coming to St. Louis tomorrow. He has sets at Helium Comedy Club Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Mark, we've been talking a lot about your podcast because this podcast is is a juggernaut. I mean, you have President Obama on. You have you get incredible guests. You do an amazing job with them. But you were a comedian first. Do you feel yeah. like people almost forget now that you're a comedian? They think you're the interviewer guy. I don't know if they ever knew, you know, there it was when I started the podcast, my comedy career was comics knew me and I was always on Conan and I had a I had respect in my in my world. But I didn't you know, I wasn't a ticket seller. So as 
the podcast progressed and it became popular, you know, people started to know that I did comedy and then they would come out and see me do comedy in this idea. The, the language that some of the fans would use early on was like, we should go support Mark. I'm like, I don't need the support. I mean, if you want to come watch me do what I've done my whole life, you can do that. You know, and by the time I started the podcast, I had been on Letterman four or five times. I've been on Conan O'Brien like 45 times. Yeah. I've done, you know, comedy specials. But for whatever reason, you know, who knows? I just never, you know, caught on necessarily. But it all started to kind of evolve together. There was a period during the beginning of the podcast for the first five or six years where people would say, I really like that show, and I wouldn't know what they were talking about, whether it was a podcast or a stand-up show. Or, you know, once I got Glow, I no longer really need to ask now because it doesn't matter how they know me. If they come see me, they know me one way or the other, and they probably know all parts of me. After I did my series Marin on IFC, and then I did Glow, and, you know, I have the podcast. I've been in a couple movies. Look, I... I I, they know me from somewhere, and it was enough to get them in the club, so I'm fine. You know. And does that make it easier to do stand-up that people are coming in thinking, oh, boy, this is like a big celebrity. I'm coming in prepared to laugh. Well, I don't know uh, if they know me that that's necessarily the thing they're saying to themselves. Um, like, I don't know if they're saying this is a big celebrity, and I don't know if they're – you know, saying like, oh, this guy's going to really, uh, you know, make us yuck it up. Uh, I think if you know me, you know, the kind of comedy I do is going to be, you know, thought provoking, somewhat deep, uh, a little dark. But, uh, you know, I, I've got a handle on it. And, it. and and if you know who I am and what I talk about, you'll have a good time and you'll enjoy the show. I try to kind of thread the the uh, a sort of theme through the hour and, and try to deal with what we're all living through today. I'm not the type of entertainer that's... Uh, that, my my agenda is not to like let me take you away from the reality for a little while. I, it's more like let's go, you know, head first into the reality and see if we can put it into a perspective that we can handle. Uh, yeah, so I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but it's definitely a, an, an engaging hour or so that I'm working on right now. But uh, to answer your question, it is nicer to have people who know who I am, to have fans who I, especially in St. Louis, which mm -hmm. is. You know, I'm not doing a lot of clubs. I, I generally do small theaters now. I'm at a point where I can do that. But to work on the material and to sort of, you know, get it tight and get it, you know, really kind of uh, funny, you know, I've been doing certain clubs in certain markets where I don't have a, a huge draw. I mean, you know, Missouri in general, I don't think is a Mark Marin state. Um I, I mean, you know, that's possible, Louis, but I feel like St. Louis is a real Mark Marin city. Like, people are Well, pumped. you know, there are people there, you know. Yeah. Like, there are people in St. Louis where, you know, when I do the type of shows I do and, you know, where people know where I'm coming from, you know, uh, uh, intellectually and politically, they, you do get the sense that, you know, most of the people there, it, it's sort of like uh, – it's it's almost like a safe space. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so you're requiring, or I should say helium is, requiring, helium is requiring that people either have a negative COVID test or proof of vaccination. Is that maybe a that, way of screening out so you make sure you get your Missourians and not necessarily right. people who are like, Mark Marin, I don't even know that guy. Well, it it was me, you know. I I I, I request that. Uh, sure, I think that most of my audience has probably grown up enough uh, to to be vaccinated and and care about the broader uh, public health issue that we're all up against. Uh, but look, man, you know when I do clubs, 
you know, that is the work. I came up as a club comic. I'm still a club comic. I believe that what I do can be and is entertaining to anybody, whether they know me or not. I've had people walk out of this uh, this hour that I'm doing. Like I, I've done it in several, uh, you know, red you, you sort of uh, purple at the very least. I, I ran it in Phoenix uh, for two shows, which is you know definitely a, a, a kind of active crucible of uh, right-wing stupidity and weirdness. But I've had people come up to me and go like, that was hilarious. You know, I don't agree with some of the things you say, but, but you're definitely a funny guy. And you know, that's, a, that's nice. I, I'm, that's encouraging to me that, that Americans who can handle that and still can speak that way and still engage uh, with that type of honesty as opposed to kind of a tribalized defensiveness is, uh, was encouraging. So I, I, I encourage anybody to come. I mean, but you do need to be vaxxed or recently tested because I don't want any of my people to to get COVID unnecessarily. I gotta I'm gonna test myself here at home in an hour or two. Okay, yeah. I mean that that seems like a good precaution there. One last question I have for you today. I saw the promos for one of your shows in LA and it said you were doing comedy but you were also playing music. Is that something people can expect at the St. Louis show? No, no, I'm not. I've done that once and I've got I put together a little band and uh, it's just been a lifelong dream. And at this point in uh, in history of the world and of me, uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to check a few things off the bucket list and playing with other people on stage and singing and uh, and doing uh, doing that is something I, I've been enabled to do by this place here in L.A. But I'm not touring with the band. Not so touring with there, the band. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> there will be no music uh, this weekend. But there will be comedy. Uh, Mark Maron yes. will be at Helium Comedy Club. Again, that's tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. Ticket info at wtfpod.com slash tour. Mark Maron, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for talking. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.